Hey, what's up, guys? I wanted to ask a favor of our audio podcast listeners, specifically if you're on iTunes. Um, I don't know about the other platforms like Spotify and stuff, but iTunes especially. And if you can somewhere else, I'd appreciate it. If you would please leave us a five star review, uh, maybe like write one sentence or something. You know, you could write more if you wanted to, but, uh, you know, just that kind of thing. It helps us a ton so that iTunes will help other people, you know, find our programming. I appreciate you guys. Hope you're having a great holiday season and uh, let's get to the show. And if I was just to train with no enhancement at all, I don't know that I would do it. Nobody wants to go back. I'm holding on to youth here as long as I can hang on to. I'm holding on to a quality of life. I'm holding on to a passion that I have. And if you don't have it, you can't understand it. So kiss my ass. I, I don't have <laughs> anything else to add to it because I can't convince somebody. It's someone who does you know, it's Lance Armstrong is passionate about riding a bike. I don't want to ride a bike. I don't want to jump out of a fucking plane. People have those things that they love to do. And I don't want to say I live for it, but it's such a big part of me and my quality of life that I'm not willing to give it up. I'm just not. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat and Gear with Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, and we are back with Nate Spear. Thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, we've got a bunch of stuff we're going to do today, including, but not limited to, your favorite 12-week bulk cycle. We're going to talk about some tricep training, and we are going to take your listener questions. Oh, and we have a physique critique from one of our Patreon guys. Speaking of which, I appreciate everybody who is helping us out on Patreon. And for those of you at YouTube, if you haven't subscribed to our content, we have several bodybuilding podcasts coming out each week. We'd love to have you along for all of them. Andrew, what else should they do? Like, click, subscribe. All of that. All, all of it. All Leave of comments. It. Comments, yes. We appreciate your comments. You guys are killing it with the comments. So... Let's kick this thing off. By the way, anybody who's watching live here on Facebook, feel free to throw in some questions. We've got a few questions that are that are piling up on us. We will tackle them. We'll tackle anything you guys have here. Um, I we'll have start... one, Scott, real quick. Do you? Um, yeah, I didn't brush my teeth. Shut... You're all right. You're good. You're good. Okay. Right. Yeah, you're good. Uh, oh, I went the wrong fucking way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It didn't work. I was supposed to go this way. I'm new to this. I'm the I four, smelled it through the microphone. Uh, you're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. So we had covered favorite or best 12-week cut cycle. Let's go the opposite direction this time around. Let's talk about getting huge, getting massive. Lightweight, baby. Best 12-week bulk cycle any one of you guys are are good to start this thing up. I want to hear what you have to say. Check drops. Testosterone. Um, the check drops is a joke. I don't know why I think I'm funny today because I'm just really not. Matter of fact, people might not even know. Some people might not even know what check drops are. But anyway, uh, pond scum, trend. Uh, no, you know what? I'm. I, look, I don't know about you guys. We don't talk a lot about off-season cycles as much as we talk about prep i don't think i'm a pretty simple guy in the off season i don't like to complicate the i don't like a lot of compounds i'm a typical testosterone and back it up with something and sometimes maybe a third i'll say this if i'm if i'm stuck with two compounds or if i'm going to limit myself to two compounds testosterone and npp testosterone and eq 
If you're going to give me three, I'm going to put EQ and NPP and test in there, and I'm going to I'm going to do my best growing, and I'm going to I'm going to feel pretty pretty damn good on it. You kind of took my idea. That's a good one. Oh, I'm sorry. Shit. That's, a, that's all right. Here. That's what we're here for. You too. Yes. No well, basic. It's basic. It's it's simple. It's we, effective. It's not going over the top and loading a bunch of compounds. Some people will put. There's nothing wrong with it. But some people will go lower dosage with four or five compounds. I'm just a little bit more simple than that. Well, I guess. Well, wouldn't you say also like in the off season? Like if you're if you ever to miss a dose of something, it's going to be in the off season, not during prep, right? Like yeah. you get to the end of the day and you're like. You know, let's say it's off season, forty <laughs> yeah. weeks, forty weeks out from a show, and you're already in bed, and you're like, "Oh, I forgot to take my blank." The blank. You're not yeah, going to get yeah. out of bed and do it. Whereas if you're six weeks out from a show, you're like, "Oh shit, I didn't take my," and you're like racing out of bed to do it, right? Yeah. And I think <laughs> it also right. ties into the point that Skip was making, where he was saying that we don't really talk about off season cycles as much as we do pre contest, and I hmm. think there's a reason for that is that. I think we really, all of us here will agree and believe that the emphasis in the off season is training, diet, recovery, rest, and then yeah, gear is a part of it, but it's like that fourth or fifth part of it versus, mm -hmm. you know, pre-contest. Yeah. We're looking for a cosmetic look, the training and the diet are, are equally as important, but the gear now makes a little bit more of an, of an impact, especially as uh, we're trying to elicit a certain look on stage. Uh, would, would you guys agree? Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, off season, um, like cycle is really predicted on how well I feel. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of like NPP or DECA because honestly it doesn't really make me feel that great. I get a little anxiety and stuff like that and not really in the best mood. Um, so for me, I think it's just like, I look at what's the stuff that I'm going to respond to best as far as like my overall mood, my energy, you know, how I'm feeling. Um, so I always like, um, like a higher testosterone, uh, maybe like a thousand, 1200, and then like a little bit lower on the primo so like 400 megs of primo um that actually does really good for me and then i mean sometimes we'll honestly run a little bit of trenace like 300 milligrams a week uh just for like six or eight weeks um you know what i mean and just like the recomp it sort of automatically happens you know so i think it's a really good comp well not a lot of people i think it's sort of like taboo like oh trend in the off season but i think if you can use a little bit it goes a long ways especially if you're trying to like clean up an off season or hmm. uh let's say your, your your body weight is like super heavy and you sort of want to i don't know for me at least it really improves my composition um so i mean i throw that in there and my i think it's you know the food gets utilized better uh nut nutrition uh, partitioning gets increased and stuff like that and you can really tell and then the pumps come back and all that kind of stuff i mean obviously it's uh, like the king for a reason, right? But I just well, you're looking at like your wet versus dry compounds, right? Season. What's that? <clears throat> like, well, we're kind of talking about wet versus dry compounds. You're like EQ and test and NPP versus like say a test and some trend, right? So right. like you're talking like okay, you want a little bit of a cleanup phase. You want to like you know see what you've been building. Drop some you know eight or ten pounds of water that you're walking around with daily. To trend, I think is a great way to do that. Yeah. I'd go with any of that. I, I, I'm with Skip kind of in that, you know, and I hadn't done it in a long time, but but a good long while ago, I discovered the combo of test EQ, and I would keep the NPP low. Like, I didn't add much of it, but I really liked that a lot, and I think I did well with it. I liked that better than, you know, and I'll be honest, the first time I ran EQ, 
I didn't really feel like I got a ton out of it. Maybe it was the EQ I had or something. And then after that, I was I doubled it up and I went really high. And I realized, yeah, maybe I don't need that much. But I, I'll say this: I would say that like if we were looking at you know your standard bulk compounds or what like going to be when you, when you just like look at it on the internet, it'd be EQ or DECA, and of course test right. So it'd be your test and EQ or test and DECA. And I would say that in my experience, if I were to do test and EQ the EQ would probably be a little bit higher than if I were to do to get the same effect in, in my experience as test and DECA. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. My ratio may be a little bit different. Like if I were running those three, I would probably go, or t I find myself typically going with, and it's not predetermined. It kind of just works out this way. It's not like I went, Oh, I got to keep within these ratios, but my testosterone will be roughly 50% and the EQ and NPP would make up the other 50%. So it'd be like 50, 20, 20. let me try it again. 50, 25, 25. Um, but that's just something that I have come to over the years that has worked well for me uh, as an individual. So I'm, and I, put that ratio out there just to show, you know, kind of back up even what Nate is saying. I'm still very big on testosterone. I'll get clients sometimes who are just like not, they're just so convinced that the test and some people it doesn't, you know, it does make them watery. It does make them bloated. Um, but I, testosterone is still the bulk. And I believe that for the large majority of people that it should be, or make up the bulk of, the cycle or it shouldn't be a majority or make up a good part of it. The other thing too is though, is I will always, and, and my clients will know this, they probably expect it to come, but even in the off season, I am a 50, typically a 50, 50 split between probe and sipinate. I don't oh, yeah. like to run just long esters because I want to, and I'm not a fan of DECA yet. I am of NPP and I, the reason is because I respond so much better to it. I don't carry as much water. My blood pressure isn't as high. I don't like those real watery compounds primarily because of how it makes me feel, but just the health component, the more water you carry, the higher your blood pressure, the higher the blood pressure, the more stress that you have on your kidneys and your heart and just your overall system. And I don't care to gain you know, 20, 20 pounds in the off season and have it 15 of it be water and then come out the cycle and go, Oh, no, not that I wouldn't take five pounds of muscle at this point. But the point is, is I prefer what most people refer to as cleaner gains versus just really slamming out weight. When I was younger, I didn't care about that. I would carry the extra weight. I would gain the benefits of the leverage with strength and, and everything. Sure. But the older I get, that shit doesn't feel as good as it did when I was in my 20s and 30s carrying that that extra weight. Yeah. We actually got a question related to that, so I'll, I'll make sure that we do get back to that one. Do people want numbers? Is that what we're... I, they always want numbers. Come on now. Yeah. Well, we didn't. I mean, you could if you wanted to. You know, with with our discussion on cut cycles, we didn't give them because we said, you know, well, it's an experience thing. But yeah. I mean, what, what do you what do you think? I mean, people would love to hear some numbers if you want to throw them out there. Just don't try this at home, guys. Yeah, not telling anyone to do this, but and I yeah. do agree with if I like a 50 50 blend usually of, of you know, test prop and like a test E, but I don't think you go wrong with 250 to 300 megs of test, 300 megs of EQ, and 100 NPP on like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. So we're talking 900 test, 900 EQ, and 300 NPP. That's a nice little cycle. I like that. Or, or 750 if you did the 250s. Yeah. So 750 to 900 of the test and EQ and 100 NPP on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. What about for a guy 
that was, we'll say, less experienced in less experienced just across the board a guy you know because because we are going to have like i know that a lot of our video or excuse me our audio listeners we've got some hardcore people that have been with us for you know seven eight years and they've been doing that they're doing this long before they started listening then we have some guys finding us on youtube that are just a few years in uh, i'd probably cut that to like 500 megs of test and 500 eq and i'd run it like you know a monday thursday type 250 of each and i think if that's your first cycle, I think you're going to be very happy with what you get out of it. Okay. Yeah. You might yeah, even I mean, want I to just do tell the that comes to me. What's up? I, sorry, I was going to say you might even want to just stick to the 500 megs of test. Well, that's what I was going to say. Cycle. Usually, I have a lot of people that are new and they, you know, come to me for advice, and I just said, just stick to test, you know, test Anthony or whatever, twice a week, you know, the one mil, whatever. Um, you can't really go wrong there. You know what I mean? You're going to get a lot in return if your diet and training's on point. And there's no need to. You know what I mean? Like getting to the other stuff at that point. It's like see how you respond. You know what I mean? And see how, see how it goes for you there. Dude, and um, if you're new. You, you know, got plenty of time, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, when you're yeah. going to blow up off that too. You know, yeah. off like two yeah. cc's a test. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. What about uh, estrogen control in the offseason? Well, we oh, didn't oh, address the reason, why I, the reason why I like the Monday, Wednesday, Friday type injection schedule is because then you could take your uh, aromatase inhibitor on like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Okay. Um, so I do think about 24 hours later is when uh, your peak uh, levels of testosterone are going to be in the system or convert. That's when your peak conversion of testosterone to estrogen will be happening. Don't quote me. It's not exact for depending on the compounds and, and the esters, but right. generally that's where, where the, the levels are going to be the highest and that's where you're going to have the highest conversion. So I think that's when you're going to want to attack the aromatase enzyme. Okay. Well, I want to add too. I they think a lot of people too run their estrogen or you know, suppressants way too high. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Yeah. If you can balance that, if you can find a happy medium balance, like for me, I did, I I was guilty of that. You know, I would do like one mig of like freaking Arimidex every other day for a little bit there. It was more or less because I had gyno and stuff, you know what I mean? So I was self-conscious about that. Um, But, you know, I start now I do like 0.5 every like two or three days or whatever. You know what I mean? Like just to sort of keep everything at bay. Obviously, if you get blood work, you're going to sort of know where everything stands, like to be more accurate. But um, definitely, I think way too many guys are sort of, you know, slam freaking Aromidex or almost in, in the off season, which is obviously counterproductive. Can I piggyback off of that and just make the point that I think too many people in the off season don't do the blood work to find out where their estrogen levels are. I think it's more of a guessing game. It's like, well, I don't have gyno and I'm not crying when I watch Titanic. So I'm good. It's you really, you, it's a good idea to know. And I think that there are different parameters with your estrogen levels in the off season, if they're going to run a little bit higher. And again, this has to do with, you know, the, obviously the compounds you're running and, and whether you're sensitive to gyno, but you know, sometimes you know, if you're in prep and you're running it, you know, in the twenties, Okay, great. But if you're running a bunch of gear and you get up into, you know, higher numbers for estrogen, let's say you're up into the 40s and you're tolerating that well, I don't think that, and this is me personally, and again, there's individual issues there, but you can run into your 40s and sometimes into, you know, the, the low 50s without any real negatives. And you can benefit from that in the off season from an estrogen. Yeah. I don't even know. Sometimes people will go even higher than that. I start to get a little leery if you're climbing into the 60s and, you know, then you can keep trying because some people will feel great there and they don't have gyno issues and they're, they're not emotional. One of the things you're going to notice isn't, well, there's two things. There's a sex drive. Um, 
because it can impact your sex drive. But if you find yourself a, more emotional than usual, you should probably get your ass some blood work because if you're if you're just really just emotional or or want to cry like you're choking on your tongue and and it's something that you wouldn't otherwise be emotional about you, you it's a good idea to get that blood work done i think that people tend to focus more on prep yeah well people i think my point is people tend to focus on those things more in prep and i think sometimes in the off season there are plenty of people who won't admit that they don't want to know what that blood work says in the off season because or prep for that matter too but even if that's the case, at least check your estrogen and your, you know, SHBG and, you know, things like that. That If you're so focused on growing and you're not focused on your health, you can still avoid if you need. And I'm not telling people to do this, to avoid, you know, the the extensive blood work. But a lot of people are not terribly concerned about their health and that's their business. I don't advocate for that. I would never tell somebody to do that, but it is their business. And if they're not concerned about it for whatever reason that's on them wouldn't you guys also agree isn't this really annoying that um a Rimidex comes in one milligram tablets <laughs> yes. yeah well like it's just nonsensical because like mm -hmm. there's a lot of times where i'm like i would love to put you on 0.25 milligrams like yeah. two times a week but it's like how do you break a one milligram tablet into four equal parts you can't yeah. you, know? you gotta get a good um, source with ugl tablets that are scored uh, in quarters don't reach so, out you to know me what? guys. When it, when it comes to ancillaries, for some reason, <laughs> I'm I want farm grade for. I, I don't trust the underground. Stuff. I have seen a huge difference. Now, I've seen good UGL, but I've also seen really bad UGL. And furthermore, I have seen really really bad research chems. That is. Yeah. That is one uh, thing that I've seen so much variation in. Is over the, and underdose, it, right? I haven't seen overdosed so much on the Arimidex. Yeah, I got oh, a yeah. cleanse story. I got a cleanse yep. story for you. Oh, yeah. clean, yeah, Arimidex. I don't. I, I've wondered too sometimes if like if it goes bad over time, like the Arimidex doesn't hold in it right or something. I I don't know, but I, I've seen Arimidex where it's been like because you know sometimes you're it'll be a place where it's like oh this place is good and there's several guys that seem to be using this Arimidex back in the day. I tell everybody like don't do that anymore. But there would be times where it'd be like everybody's Arimidex was good, and then it wasn't. So either the source changed their product or it sat for a long time and like broke down in some way. I don't know. I think you're having both of those things happen, though. I mean, protein, I used to laugh way back in the day. Uh, ABB, American Bodybuilding Products, would have oh, their yeah. amino force. And I would immediately have fucking diarrhea. And yeah. then come to find out, oh, protein doesn't. That's why you have protein powder. It yeah. just doesn't stay stable in like in fluid, it doesn't, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just eventually, it's just gonna, <laughs> so you have to wonder if these other compounds, and it's, and it also, I think, depends on what it's uh, suspended in, you know, yeah. are there, does alcohol or an alcohol base, um, you know, decrease the effect, the, the efficacy, there's the word I'm looking for, or decrease or cut into or make it, uh, you know, different compounds. It could be clan, it could be Arimidex. It's going to affect those things differently. And the vehicle is not always, or what it's suspended in, is not always going to be the same. So there are those those questions. Then on the other hand, you have source or, well, sources or research companies who start off and they're legit. And then as they build a solid business and client base, if you will, 
they start to cut corners and then they become a shit, you know, and they get good reviews and they start to cut corners and then all of a sudden they're putting out crap and I could name a couple. I just switched uh, myself and my clients from one that it just turned to shit. Their customer service turned to shit and they, it was just bad. And I had to switch after like probably five or six years They're relatively close to me. I won't name them. Um, but my clients know who they are because I had to switch. It just went, they just went to shit. Yeah. Yeah. And realistically, like if I think for the majority of, you know, bros out there that are using a Remedex from a research site, if, if they say had one milligram at first and now they're doing three quarters of a milligram, you know, they're, they're saving some money then if they're making, you know, whatever a thousand vials or something, would you really notice the difference? You know what I mean? Most people, sure. would you really notice the difference then? What about a half milligram? <laughs> you know what I mean? Keep pushing that, make twice as much product, save your money. I've think- seen it with melanotan as well. No kidding. They, and, you know, the things that you can't really gauge, like who's to say whether IGF or growth hormone or things that are a little bit more difficult to measure. Clen, yeah. I mean, Andrew touched on that. The race, look, If I'll be honest. If I owned a research company and I was making Clen and I needed the business, I'd be putting more in it because if you feel it more – you're gonna yeah. be like, God damn, this is some good clan. I'm going back to that. I think clan historically in the last six, eight years is probably almost all of it is overdosed. If it's not, you know, in tabs and shit like that. If it's a liquid research company, it's overdosed. That's how you 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 make your product effective and make people feel it. That's why pre-workouts with beta alanine and shit you can actually feel will yeah. sell off the fucking shelves. You don't have to take yeah. your word for whether, you know, it works. You're, you feel it and you're like, oh, I got to have this shit. I'm so amped. I didn't sleep for three days. And yeah. they'll go back and buy it again because of that reason. Yeah. And then you end up in prison. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Hey, well good. played. Yeah. All right. Listen, let's, let's move on, guys, because we have a bunch of other stuff. We do have a, a, a critique, a physique critique from one of our Patreon people. Um, but before we do, I wanted to talk some tricep training. You know, it, it, we always have some good training conversations and I feel like triceps is not been on the, like we talk a lot of stuff. Like we did quads last time. We talk a lot of shit about back, but like triceps is something we don't, we don't discuss a lot. So if you had to pick, we'll see if we can keep this on track this time. I don't know whether it's going to happen or not. If you had to pick <laughs> one tricep exercise. What what would your tricep exercise be? One that's nobody hard. wants to answer because we we don't well, want to be the one. No, that I'll be off. <laughs> I'll be very vanilla. Um, I like any tricep press down that you can use the D handles on those little flexible handles so that you you know your wrists aren't locked in one particular way. Um, that's a press down. That's my favorite. It's the one I feel the most. I can fill it up with blood. Um, you can burn the shit out of them. It's a safe exercise compared to say maybe like a um, close grip bench press, um, a dusty handshaw straight bar skull crusher with two twenty five. God damn, yeah, guys, a machine, a fucking. I cringe. I can't even watch that video. Can't watch videos when he does skull crushers. Something tells me he's going to end up more like Ronnie Coleman is today. I like, worry. I worry. Years, I, he knows what he's doing. We we all agree. We know he knows what he's doing. But holy fucking shit, I just feel like, uh, I don't know. But big motherfucker, moving big weight. And I don't think he's in the pain, at least, that Ronnie was. Like, Ronnie talked about, like, dealing with the back surgeries, going through all that shit. After his career. 
But didn't he have that? Didn't he have back stuff going on during it? He was still deadlifting 800 pounds of what into his fifth Olympia, I think it was, and and squatting 800 pounds into his fourth or fifth Olympia. So, I I mean, I I don't think the pain pain really started happening until he's like took a deep breath and he Mm. ended his career, and all of a sudden he's like, shit, my hip doesn't work, and oh wow, I need to get my back fused, and uh, I can't even walk, get out of bed without help from the wife, or you know. I think uh, once he mentally got over that hump of I'm the best bodybuilder in the world and retired, I do think the body, just like, just like, you know, when you get done a prep, you get done a prep and you take a deep breath, all of a sudden that tendonitis that you didn't have two weeks ago is like fierce or that little shoulder injury that, you know, all you had to do was warm up a little bit and you could get through the session. All of a sudden now you can't even put two plates on a bar and and, and move anything. So I do think the the mind is so powerful that we can block certain things like injuries and, and stuff like that out until we get over the hump. And I think for in Ronnie's case, he got over a pretty big hump of eight Mr. Olympias and then said, and then all of a sudden it just started piling on on him. I've wondered if some of that is what I've dealt with this past year, having gotten sick, not being able to train at all and now getting back into it. And then like, oh, my shoulder, you know what I mean? Stuff is like coming. Stuff is happening that just, you know, I, I've wondered if that's kind of the case for me. But well, body in motion stays in motion. I hate to be yeah. cliche about it, but, you know, I get much stiffer and aches and pains when I'm not training or not training as frequently or as consistently. I think we all do. When you're moving, things tend to feel better. And I'm having the same thing with my knee. Uh, dealing with that over this last year. Uh, the, as long as I continue to train, it would feel good. If I went a week or two and didn't, then it didn't feel as good. It would stiffen up. Uh, and I don't want to get sidetracked. So I'm going to jump back on the tricep uh, exercise. I'm going to go against, and not against, but I'm going to go a different direction than Andrew. I, If I am focused to focus on picking one or forced to pick one exercise for triceps, I'm going strictly long head. The reason is because with all the pressing, there's a lot of medial and outer more mm. focus, I guess, on that with benching and, and chest pressing and overhead pressing, that sort of thing. So I'm going to go long head and I'm, so I'm going to go um, like like incline, high incline um, dumbbell extensions, you know, where the angle is, is open. Um, I mean, I've talked about this before, but where the angle is open between the torso and the, the upper arm. When that happens, that long head becomes so much more engaged because it attaches. It's the only head of the tricep that attaches at the scapula. So when you open that angle up, you're stretching into the long head. I think that 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 would give. Well, it has me even with my regular training and not only picking one exercise, um, and it's worked for a lot of other people too. So overhead dumbbell extension, maybe even overhead and, and not completely overhead, not sitting straight up because then it's difficult with elbow position. Then you can end up in a vulnerable position. The, and I've written articles about it. So I would tell people read our, my articles about tricep training and elbow position on elite FTS and that it'll make more sense without me having to dig into it and explain the, the details of it now. But that's what I would go with. I would go with the uh, more of a long head movement, uh, which is not saying I'm not saying Andrew's wrong. I do press downs as well, um, and I think they're great exercise. But if forced to pick one, I would go with something that focused as much on the long head. Well, I think part of it's what you connect to, too. You know what I mean? I think that's part of what the answer is here. Mm -hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hard to pick one. I mean, honestly, have you ever guys ever used that machine where it's like just seated and you just come down like this? 
Yeah, I absolutely yeah, hate honestly, that. Machine. That thing like lights me up like crazy. I don't know why, but that's I'm with McNally. I, I fucking hate, hate that thing. It hurts no, my elbow. Think. It's the only thing that hurts my elbows ever. But that's the <laughs> but that's a good point, Nate, because it lights you up and it works really well for you. Yet I could take that machine and throw it out in the middle of the highway because it's never done a goddamn thing. For, I get more ab development out of it because I have to force against the machine. It's just a weird angle for me. But that's how. That's how that's that individuality and the mechanics that is different for for everybody. You know what never bothers my elbows. So I and I'm thinking here if I'm thinking like like what am I going to get the most mass out of? Because my first thought is like safety wise, I would say some type of a cable like a cable press down V grip rope, something like that. But like I could probably do that well into my 90s. Hopefully I live that long, you know, like that's an exercise I could do for the rest of my life. But as far as mass goes. I and I I get no pain from dumbbell skull crushers done unilateral you know unilateral dumbbell skull crushers one dumbbell in each hand with an incline bench so I'm laying on the incline elbows are up you know that one is that from, what you're saying Skip I'm sorry is that what you're saying Skip that is a, that is one of the exercises yeah because yeah, that's more of a long head yeah I like that. Yep. I like that. So I was kind of thinking that because when you were saying overhead for me, Mm -hmm. the overhead position, because then I started thinking like, yeah, I could do like overhead cable, but I guess it's a different exercise than a press down. I actually do those a lot too. Do you? Like the overhead cable? Uh, The the incline with the dumbbells. Oh, yeah. Specifically with... Yeah, specifically for the dumbbells, like that's my personal favorite. And it it took me a while to figure it out. And if I use a if I use even like a cambered bar, it locks my elbows into a position yeah. where it's like it turns it into a bad exercise for me. Well, it can become a coordination issue when you're doing when you're using one dumbbell in each hand. Yeah. I know when I start new clients on it, those dumbbells are all over the fucking yeah. place. <laughs> yeah. You, it is because it's you're not used to that. Usually you're using a bar, using something that you don't have to stabilize as much, and then you're gonna notice when you're using two dumbbells, that if there's a weakness, you're going to feel it right away. And yeah. then you have to focus on on more of a control. And it is. It's a coordination issue. Let me add one thing that I think is important <clears throat> with tricep training, too. And that is whether you train triceps, like say you do an arm day and you come in and you do tries and buys versus doing triceps after chest or after chest and shoulders. I can't come in and do arms by themselves and open with triceps. My elbows will bother me halfway into triceps until they're warm. So I I do one of two things. If I'm doing an arm day by itself, I always train biceps first. And then it literally takes me two warm-up sets on press downs and my triceps are ready to go and I don't have any pain. Or I do them after chest and shoulders. So I even wonder in situations where people say, well, I can't do this specific exercise because it hurts my elbows if they're coming in cold and warming up and they're jumping to that and that's maybe an opening exercise or their second exercise versus if they were to do biceps first, get blood in there, everything is warm. And when I say in there, it's in the arm. It's it, your triceps have to work because it's antagonist. I mean, you're, they're working against your bicep curls and everything else. So, or, or train triceps after chest and shoulders. But a lot of people, if they have weak arms and especially in triceps, cause we're talking about tries, they're not going to typically train them after chest and shoulders because they don't feel that they can go with maximum poundages, get maximum contraction and maximum pump. But sometimes that's the lesser of the evils and you're able to pound it without the vulnerability or as much of a vulnerability of injury or irritating the triceps tendon, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So there's different variables in there that could be 
impacting whether your elbows are bothering you when it might not be just the exercise itself. Well, I was going to say, actually, when we were talking about the incline dumbbell skull crushers is I can never open with that. Me too. So I'll always open with like a push down first. Yes. Yep. Me too. You know what me I mean? too. But then I'll do like a skull crusher or something like that. You know what I mean? I can never really go right into that. So to touch on your point, as far as obviously you're talking about biceps first, but I do that because obviously to get my, it's a little bit easier on the elbows. I feel like, you know, the cable. That's the way I do like everything in arms in general. And it's, you know, very mountain dog like approach. You're making sure that you've got the muscles warmed up, your joints are yep. warmed up in that first exercise, then going to like whatever my heavy meat and potatoes thing is, you know, yep. after that, and then probably volumizing, filling with blood as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's too is important to touch on is like I'm one of the younger guys, and I think that's is like crucial to get ahead of the pain, mm. you know what I mean, to start doing this stuff before you get to a point where, you know what I mean, like, oh, now I got to work around it, in my right. opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm going to take a brief moment to shout out our sponsors. I'll make it quick, but this stuff's super important because it's our sponsors that help to make this show possible. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. And if it wasn't for you shopping with our sponsors, we wouldn't be here either. You can support our programming by shopping with truenutrition.com. They're our title sponsor. They've supported us for a number of years. They have awesome health and performance supplements. You can ask Skip or Dusty or Scott Stevenson all about True Nutrition and they'll tell you how good of a company they are. Hardcore bodybuilders have trusted them for over 15 years now. Use our code THINK. You'll get some savings. You'll support our programming. If you're in Canada, you can shop with supplementsource.ca. They have highly discounted supplements, discounts on bulk orders, and free shipping over $99. Check them out. And finally, you can directly support our programming on Patreon. I'll have links below for Patreon and everything else. We're taking more questions over there, and I appreciate everybody who's already helping to directly support our programming through our Patreon. All right, guys, thanks for hanging with me. Let's get back to the show. All right, listen, we've got some questions. We also have a physique critique. So this is uh, one of our guys from Patreon. This is Nick, and he, uh, let's see, he says... um, I know I wasn't dark enough or lean enough. Um, more detail wouldn't hurt. Uh, he says. Um, he says more more detail uh, in our critique wouldn't hurt. He said, "Well, it might hurt my ego, but that's okay." He says, "Thanks, Scott. <laughs> love the shows." He says, "Also, um, uh, won't have hurt feelings." Uh, oh, he says, "Won't have hurt feelings if you pick somebody else." Well, we haven't picked somebody else, Nick. We've picked you. Yeah, we uh, he, want to destroy you, Nick. He competed go in men's physique you. here. So we're going to talk about what he can do. I've got a back picture, too, but I figured I would start here. And I thought, you know what? We give him some uh, some feedback on you know what he might want to focus on now as he moves into the offseason here. First and foremost, conditioning for uh, for the stage. He, he definitely nailed it. He was He needed another probably four or five weeks to really get that nice peeled look. I think he has a pretty decent men's physique physique overall. So do I. Um, yeah, so do I. Yeah, I, I think it, like I'm looking at his the way his uh, his lats are kind of like kind into his waist. You see like where the uh, obliques are. Those would be in like another two inches if he was yeah. peeled, and his yep. taper would look really nice. So I think it's really a conditioning aspect. Obviously, he needs more muscle if he wants to like compete at the higher levels, but. For your next show, make conditioning the priority, and I really think you're going to move up in placing. I mean, and Let me he go looks ahead. like. Oh, go ahead, Nick. 
I was just going to say, like, you can, some guys usually are genetically blessed with, like, delts and arms, or they're blessed, <laughs> like, the torso part. So you can see he's got actually decent delts and arms, but his chest is very behind. So it's one of those things where he's going to have to learn to train his chest properly. I'm assuming mm. he's a little bit newer, so he might not be able to get that proper connection. You know, a lot of guys, when they first start lifting, that have the good delts and the good arms, you know, they tend to use those as they're trying to, you know, build the chest. So I think it's a, you know, training thing with the, get that chest a little bit better too. But like Andrew said too, you can still see like you could, you could grab the inches off of his waist and it would just make it that much more dramatic. So for sure. Now for the record, Andrew and I were not laughing at anything Nate said or the picture. We were laughing at the comment about the hooded guy in the, (laughs) in the background because I can't be the only one who's like, what's going on? Is somebody, who is that? Does he know he's back there? What the fuck is that? (laughs) I don't think it's anyone. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're being robbed bro and i know you're sitting there with a gun uh i'm gonna go a little bit different route because i mean i completely agree with you guys as far as that's the first thing that pops out is the obliques um that if and being leaner will bring those in i'm gonna question and because i don't i'm not sure it's probably almost entirely being leaner but because his waist is relatively small, his obliques are bigger. If you're doing any oblique work, direct resistance, stop it right now. Don't do it. It has literally no part in, in men's physique unless you're going to do something like a – and I got this from Scott Stevenson, actually. Uh, and it was because of my lower back. I wanted to do some intercostal serratus work, and you can do one-handed side – uh, Ben's from a holding on to a cable handle. There we go. That his, his picture was in the way. I didn't see my hand. <laughs> um, and then that's a little bit less oblique work, and it can be, it can kind of dig into your intercostal serratus things, serratus things like that. But something he could do right here to take away, like let's say you're going on stage and you know you're a little bit thicker through your obliques and everything is, he needs to not be straight on with his posing. Yeah, so posing. I would say, too, to emphasize and work with someone from a posing standpoint, because I can tell you that, uh, you know, a couple of the top guys would pick this out right away and they would have him turned and they would have him twisted and it would take yeah. away considerably. Now, it doesn't mean that the judges aren't going to see it either, in, you know, either in transition or, or anything else or that you're not going to have to face forward at some point directly straight and face the judges. But you can take the posing in a situation like this can take a lot of that midsection and bring it down visually a, a, a couple inches. It can be pretty dramatic. But overall, it's just it's a lean it's a lean game through his midsection. Uh, I, I want to see him from the back too. You do have a shot from the back, right? Here we go. Yeah, it's a leanness issue. Yeah, and I'm with Andrew. I think it, I think we can all agree he has a pretty good structure. Um, yeah, I but think it'd be really it, good if he was it's a leanness four or five weeks later. Yeah. yeah. You know, the other thing is someone, I saw someone post on a message board, just, just making me think of men's physique. And they were like, why do all the men's physique guys have way better abdominals than any of the open pros? And it, to me, it was like kind of simple because in men's physique at the pro level and the top amateur level, you're squatting down on your abs. Whereas every pose we do in bodybuilding, you're, you're up and you're, ext- you're expanding and you're pulling your abs in. So, like, I think this guy that I'm thinking of was, like, maybe confused as to, like, actually, I looked him up. He looked like he was a competitive classic guy. But, like, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, Well, like wait a minute, though. Is your is your comparison, because I may have misunderstood you, was that person asking the question, men's physique 
amateur versus men's physique pro or men's physique amateur versus pro bodybuilding? Or it was, sorry, it was after the Olympia. And they're like, look, these men's physique, physique guys are in much better shape. Someone said that. And then he had written something like, well, no, they just have much better ab development. And to me, it's like, no, it's just how you're sitting on them. Like yeah. we can make our abs look like that, but then we would lose all the expansion and yeah. the other stuff that makes us impressive in a front double or a last spread or any of those other shots. You guys get what I'm saying? I absolutely know what you mean because you, you uh, see that. I you actually, see sometimes yeah. guys that will hit that front double, but then they crunch down and they're like this. Yeah. Sorry, the audio listeners versus opening it up and looking bigger. I, I get what you mean. Well, I actually, I actually might disagree, actually. Um, just because Uh-oh. if you look at a lot of the open pros, we'll take an ab and thigh, for instance. Not a lot of them have great ab development, in my opinion. Um, and then you look at the men's physique guys, I think their ab development is actually better. Like, hmm. So they are crunching down the ab and thigh. I mean, I'm well, going to go a little bit I'm, with Nate. I, I kind of think this. Yeah, men's I got a bodybuilding. What's that? I got, I got a reason why. Oh, okay, go for so it. So men's bodybuilding on the open class have 40 to 50 pounds more muscle. And exactly. The muscle right, doesn't just know. go to the shoulders or the biceps or the quads. Mm-hmm. That muscle is going everywhere. So, yeah, the yep. midsections are going to be a little bit more bigger or blown out, as we like to say. So yep. if you took that same bodybuilder and took him probably right before he turned pro and had him do a, a men's physique shot, I bet you would be like, damn, that guy looks has some really good abs. I'm, I'm picturing Branch Warren like at nationals versus Branch Warren at his biggest. You know what I mean? Remember how he had that like small waist? I can't yeah. remember what his abs looked like, but I'm sure they looked a lot more defined and, and it would support what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah that's where I'm I was going to go. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, I was just going to say it. So that's why I was leaning towards what Nate was saying, because of the it's just sheer muscle. And you could even get into the poundages that are being moved, the exercises that are being used. Mm. There's going to be so much. There's just more muscle there in it, it, it. You know, the, I mean, just to put it clear, the men's physique guys have tighter, smaller waist because they just don't have the kind of muscle that an open bodybuilder has. And you can't build all that. We see it all the time. And I've always said, this is my concern with open bodybuilding. If you put six inches on your chest and back, but you put four and a half on your waist or on your midsection from a muscularity standpoint, what really is the benefit? These guys in men's physique are not focused on that building that muscularity through their midsection. They're not focused on the exercises, even for the rest of the body that are going to thicken the midsection as well. Now, the other caveat that could go on for a debate forever is, you know, the drug component, the volume of food that open bodybuilders push versus the men's physique. There's a ton of shit there. And I lean towards the food even more so than drugs because there's a lot of fucking drugs in that other division with the guys who still have small tight waist and not the develop abdominal development that that bodybuilders have one more thing that i think is important too typically when you see the smaller waist they're younger and that falls to in my opinion and i've come to this over the last few months i've written about it quite a bit with elite fts it's tva strength as we age we lose the strength and the control of the transverse abdominis and that is also contributing to things like distension and and food volume exacerbates that so these guys are still young and they still have very strong tva which will hold the essentially the guts and the food in that's why you can see kobayashi when he was younger eat like fucking insane and then he can crunch his fucking abs i'm like bitch where did all that food go if i eat one meal i look like i'm seven months pregnant 
<laughs> and I've been doing a lot of vacuum work. So if anybody's listening, they're concerned, read about my vacuum, the shit I've been doing with vacuums and the impact that it has had on my midsection over the last two or three months. And it is crazy. And you know what made me look into it was, or look into it more because I played with it in the past. It was, um, help me, uh, um, uh, the fucking huge dude we just had. It. Come on, help me. This is terrible. Um, who? Josh Wade. Juan Morrell, Josh Wade, those guys. No, so. no, he was just on the podcast with us a few weeks ago. It's terrible. Uh, I can't remember his damn name. We, we all know oh, him. Ron? I know him. I found, huh? Ron? Ron? No, Can't not Ron. Ron. Gary Turner? He just, there you go. Okay. Yeah, a few weeks ago. Oh, and Gary. by a few weeks yep. ago, you mean you like go. several months. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> well, it, like that's true. American. But what it did was, it, yeah. it, well, I don't know, it was about a month and a half or something like that. But that's what got me yeah. thinking about it again <laughs> and focused on it <clears throat> and helped me to stay on track with it. Because I kept thinking while I was doing it, I'm like, this isn't going to do shit. Like, I'm trying to get my, and then I started seeing the results week to week. And I'm like, oh my God, this is dramatic. And then I started paying attention and measuring and I'm like, oh shit. So anyway, if anybody's curious, read up on it. Again, I don't want to regurgitate for the next 10 minutes what it says when you can read it and we can move on. Okay, I got, I've got some questions here. And once again, you guys watch it. If you want to post something up in the live feed, go for it. Um, I had, I believe, a couple things about post contest let's start with this one and I'll, I'll dig the other one up it may relate um how to combat post-show lethargy not many talk about it but many go from uh up at 4 a.m very active in prep and then immediately uh show post-show energy crashes and feel like a zombie for a month usually dude that is so true Let's give Nate some it tips here, to, first of all. Yeah, that's my question. This is exactly what I was talking about a minute ago, about how mentally you can hold on until you reach the goal. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the cascade of fatigue, injuries, whatnot, just kind of unravels you. And yeah, because yeah, we, the, the, when the carrot's being dangled in front of you, like, yeah, you got the eye on the prize. Like, And we talk about this all the time. When you're in prep, there's not one thing you wouldn't do that's going to make you, I mean, within reason, that's going to make you, uh, that, that you wouldn't do to make yourself look better. If it was 10 more milligrams of this or 10 more minutes of cardio or cutting your carbs 20 more grams or whatever the heck it is, to look better on stage, especially hindsight, you're like, oh, if I would have just done that, maybe I would have looked a little bit better and placed higher. So I think, yeah, the, the, now he's looking for strategies. I think it's really, really important, and Skip talks about this, about deloading after the show. Would you guys agree? Yeah, would I do. You, uh, obviously, I do with the deloading. But I would you say any, lethargy, any time of a large uh, part of it. Oh, go ahead, Nate. Uh, I'm just asking as so this is my question. And I, part of me made it think was, do you think any of it has to do with like estrogen imbalance or stimulant, um, you know, use not and then going into not using? I think both I mean? of those things. Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of factors. I, the one at the top of the list, the one that I put at the top of the list is this. I think it's primarily the shock to the system with the weight gain, because as soon as you even just start holding water, let alone accumulating more body fat, but yeah. you're even filling out everything, the heart all of a sudden is working really fucking hard. Obviously there's hormone imbalances, you know, your hormones are all over the place post-show, but the work that the heart and your, your, that your body has to do primarily the heart is what I'm focusing on is exhausting. 
if you think about it, even just adding immediately adding 10 pounds of body weight, your breathing becomes heavier. E- even if you just you cheat and you've been out of the show for two days and you're gaining that water shift, the heart is working harder. It's exhausting. And I think that it's more energy related in that sense. But there are still all those other hormonal factors from estrogen to you name it. It's all out of whack where it was running as a fairly well, well oiled machine or should have up to the show. And then all of a sudden everything goes off. Andrew makes good points, though, about the psychological component, because if that happens prior to the prep and you're beat up and everything, which you should be at that point, the carrot is dangling there and you're pushing through where afterwards, you know, full well that it's, you're in the first few days or the first few weeks of the next year or six months. And, and it's just that look, the most hardcore of us still will battle with that and go, you know what, what's, I I just feel like dog shit. I'm going to take another day. I'm going to hang out with my girl or my family there that motivation factor isn't there we all want to come off and we want to grow and we want to be huge but what's a day what's a what's a meal with that lethargy is there though i think primarily from the impacts on on the heart i think that the heart is working triple time after a show and it's exhausting i, I would add the in a it's probably going to lean more toward andrew's thought would be the just the central nervous system fatigue you know the sympathetic nervous system fatigue of yes pushing, 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 always, you know, get like, like mentioned, getting up for 4 a.m. cardio, go, 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 go. The, the, uh, the push, the adrenaline that has to go along with that, that constant like dopamine, dopamine, and then add stimulants on top of that. And that you remove those things and you finally get a chance to stop. And man, it can be it can be a load of bricks for a lot of people. And I think it too, it depends on how hard you pushed, you know? And I do think that I've talked to people, uh, successful pros who've been doing this for a long time. Like one guy who had told me, he was like, hey, I didn't use Clen this time. And I noticed a huge difference in the level of fatigue that I had after the show. So I'm just throwing that out there as one thing. I'm not saying like, that's my whole case is Clen, But, you know, just that the whole thing of like, you know, you've you've basically gotten through a physically traumatic event. Prep is freaking stressful on your body, and I think that when you find, when it finally does, like you guys were saying, like kind of catch up with you. Plus, then like you're saying, Skip, add all that weight. You know, if you were to gain, especially if you lost control and you were to gain a, a ton of weight, that'd be bad. But even 15, 20 pounds, say, on a huge, you know, a super heavy weight. I mean, that's that's a lot more to add all at once. But my thought is really that central nervous system stress and that you need you need that time to really relax for a minute and before you can you can move forward. And I think part of it is like you got to have to go through that. We're used to trying to control everything and push harder. And then it's like, well, you know, then you wake up in the morning and there's almost there's almost like it's not a panic. But I know that feeling of like just getting up and knowing that I have to turn it on right now. You know, and then when you don't have anything to turn it on for because the show's over, man, it can it can literally like almost be like a depression. And if you're not I wasn't ready for that in my first contest. Everything was all about like getting ready for the show. And after the contest, I, there was a, a, a letdown that I was not expecting. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and don't forget about the immune system and the impact that, I mean, your body is so beat up yeah. that it's not uncommon for people to end up with things like bronchitis. Um, I, you know, I am a classic case of shingles from 2004 that to this day plagues me uh, from the nerve damage. There's a lot that you, you guys have seen it, I'm sure, with your clients or even with yourself. There's a lot of shit that goes on in those week, in that week or two post-show that can just your immune system's in the toilet. And that's another reason that I always fall back on the deloading at that point is so important and breaking back into the training is so important because you're not going to miss out on growth if you deload and you chill for a week and a, you know, week and a half, two weeks where you get just pump workouts, have fun, shoot the shit with the guys at the gym while you're doing what I call fluff. Uh, stretch and squeeze shit. You know, you're doing using the pec deck for chest instead of, you know, heavy dumbbell presses, things like that. And you're going to get a retarded pump anyway. So just take it as time to be there and show off your condition while you're still holding it and shoot the shit and have fun at the gym versus going in there, you know, with very strict 100% goals. And now I'm back into training, you know, I'm back into growing mode and I got to get going because you will. And especially now, I mean, I don't like to come back to COVID anymore, but we got, we got a new variant on the table. Oh, there's another new variant. This, you have to be very careful right now, though, whether it be flu, whether it be bronchitis, you, you don't want to open your immune system up to deal with a fucked up sickness that is going to, could potentially set you back for months when all you got to do is chill for a couple of weeks, take care of yourself, be healthy, hydrate, portion control, and make things easier on your heart and your entire bodily system. I got that follow-up so who, question. Who question. Whose question was this? Was this? Did you say, Nate, did you ask this question or someone said it? Yeah. All right. I, well, no. Okay. So I'm just saying actionable things that people can do, um, you know, to because I think you want answers on how to combat that, right? So yeah. I think actionably you can, you know, if you're getting up at 4 a.m. to do your cardio, uh, I tell a lot of people, don't we're not doing fasted cardio anymore. Like we're no longer interested in fat loss. So let's move your cardio to sometime later in the day. I want you to try to sleep in as late as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. Secondarily, yeah. pull every pull all your stimulants. It's going to suck for a day or two, but guess what? By day three or four, you don't even notice that you're not drinking coffee, taking clan and all other sorts of stims. So mm -hmm. I think you just got to bite the bullet for a day or two. Um, uh, let me, let me, oh, let me throw this up because it ties right in. Cause the, the okay. that's what okay. I was trying to go to was to kind of offer some solutions. Cause he says, put this, this next question was, could you guys talk about post contest rebound blasting uh, a blast versus cruise straight after the prep to give the body a break before you blast again. Cause I think that's where people are going. You know what I mean? Is like, well, how, what, how, how does this tie in then? So post contest. And, and I just wanted to kind of get that out there. Mm -hmm. So you guys knew what that next question was. Cause I think that you're already answering it. Yeah. Yeah. So carry on, Andrew, please. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I, well, I guess also like what you were saying, Scott, it comes down to, knowing like how much of a of a state you get into post-show and it, and preps might be different you know from prep to prep but like you said your first show you just weren't ready for that depression and how that kind of storm happened all at once as soon as you got off stage right it was like a just like i recognized that i had all the focus put on this one thing and the one yeah, thing ended yeah, yeah 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 so it could be very depressing and 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 you and you wake up in the morning and you're like well i should do the cardio but i don't have to do the cardio i should eat my clean meals and my diets that are gonna a keep me healthy and be productive in my programming 
but I don't have to anymore because I, I no longer have that major fear of being judged half naked on stage. The next time I'm getting on stage is going to be, you know, a year away or whatever. But, you know, in terms of actionable things, I think, you know, you got to put an emphasis on an emphasis on sleep. So I think if you pull your fasted cardio out and move it to later on in the day, if you can, that's going to serve you well. Uh, pulling the stimulants, pulling the chems um, that are that are hitting your sympathetic nervous system, because as you touched on, Scott, your, your sympathetic nervous system is just being driven to the ground. Yeah. You, you might even be stuck in fight or flight at that point. So you really need to put an emphasis on parasympathetic. And that means, you know, if you're training six days a week, I'd advise pulling back to three to four days of training. Um, your cardio, you know, it's not uncommon sometimes if someone's doing an hour cardio a day, I might pull them back to just three 30 minute sessions a week. And we might be a little bit tighter on the diet, but their adrenals are just so shot at that point that that's what they need. Um, I do think, you know, give yourself a few days for meals and stuff, but um, I don't like it really would upset me if I see someone gaining 20 pounds in a week. I just don't think that's productive for bodybuilding and it's absolutely not healthy. Um, You know, and, and, you know, me and Nate are both super heavyweights. Like, yeah, okay, you get done a show after a weekend or so, you might be up like eight pounds. If if you, say, had a post-show meal and then you ate whatever you wanted the next Sunday, you know. But then come Monday, I think you should almost mentally be ready to start eating clean meals for the most part. And by Thursday, the majority of that water should be off. You, sh- you should be almost right back to where you were pre-contest uh, the, the, the Friday before on that Thursday. And and that that's the point. That's kind of what I consider we're starting your off-season now. You know, wait till all that that post-show water weight comes off Thursday or Friday, and then we'll start, you know, adjusting the nutrition and and pulling the training back to four days a week, pulling the cardio, all that kind of stuff. I've got a pretty similar approach um, to Andrew with just a couple minor differences, uh, because I agree with a lot of what he says. The um, the train, I usually give them two to three days, as long as they can commit to portion control and hydration. I was telling them that the water is more important than the food at that time. Eat what you want, but portion control is pretty much the game. Don't train. Give it. And I, always, I like to not have them train for a week. That's difficult to do. So I tell them you cannot train for the week or you can go in Wednesday, Thursday, finish the week with some pump fluff, you know, like I was talking about earlier get back on a structured diet if and and what i'll do is if they don't keep good control and good portion control for those few days i like to sometimes go right back to what is i say similar maybe not exactly the same diet but close to it prior to the show just for three or four days to get them into the weekend get them cleaned up get the water off they start feeling better that sort of thing and then our off seasons usually start that Sunday, well, Sunday or Monday, Sunday, sometimes with the diet, um, but then training that following Monday. But I want to point out two things that I think are important, uh, and it's the mental component because of what you were talking about, Scott. For new competitors or people who have only competed, especially if they've not competed at all, there's a couple things you need to know. Number one, your life will not change post-show. No one is going to treat you any differently. You're not a fucking celebrity. Even if you win, you don't get this title where your life is going to change. And it's funny because even though it's been a long time since I first competed, I had this bizarre feeling that I was going to be some kind of a celebrity if I won the Kalamazoo or, <laughs> I, I, you know, I did well at the show. Like I know what you mean. Treat me differently. Yeah. And I found it oddly anticlimactic. Yeah. And I think a lot of people come off of that show and they go, oh, shit, it. I'm the same motherfucker I was before I competed at this show or I won this show or I even won my pro card. I've heard of pros who end up, whether it be friends or clients, and 
they think you can tell they might not say it, but they think life is different the day after a pro card or the day after a big win, but it's not. You go back to the same fucking job. You go back to the same relationship. You go back to the same financial struggle, sometimes worse. I was going to say that. Yeah. Sidetrack everything, <laughs> which brings me to my, the second part. And that is um, you have to look past that show prior to the show nice. so that you like know that. what you're doing after the show and, and try to tell yourself, look, I mean, life isn't, I, I, I have a job, I have a relationship. And sometimes you got to pick up the pieces. You have to, yeah. I tell people, look, you're, you may be competing, but other people involuntarily are along for the ride. Your kids, hmm. your spouse, or your girlfriend or boyfriend. So I'm not telling you to kiss ass, because that would be assuming that you were a dick during the prep. But they did miss out on doing a lot of things, whether it be going out, potential vacations, things like that. Make sure that you're supportive to the people who supported you. Get it, and especially kids, because they don't, you can't explain to a kid how important standing on stage is. And that's why I can't, yeah. you know, we, I'm not going out as much or I'm not talking as much. You know, the kids are going to see even more so than spouses that you're, you're different. You might not be a dick, but you're not talking as much. You're not as energetic. You don't want to you know, play. You don't want to do, you, you know, how I put it, Skip? make it right. You know how I put it? I, I tell people that, that you have, of course, that last couple of months, especially you have to invest a lot of extra stuff into that show. And there is only so much time you have in the day. So especially the newer guys who come to me that are like, okay, post-show, I want to switch my compounds. I'm going to go to DECA and start blasting or, you know, whatever. And it, and it, my thought is like, hold on, because this is a good time where we can reflect on how the show went. Sure. And moving forward, we can look at, okay, well, what are the things that we will want to do different in this offseason? And in the gym, we can maybe start focusing, and I'm not talking about the week after the show, you know, that not that first week. We can start focusing on where can we make improvements, you know, and what do we want to do different now in this offseason, and let's start to employ that stuff. And then with all that extra time and, you know, resources that you mentally are going to have, invest that into the people in your life, like invest it into your relationships, invest it into your job, because you know that, like, if you're working for someone else, no matter, or I don't care what your job is. You can't be a hundred percent at your job in that last couple of weeks. It's just not going to happen. But now you can take that energy. As a matter of fact, you know what? It was John Meadows who had said in an interview one time. Uh, I'm wondering if you've heard this before, Andrew. He had said like yep, that he had an agreement with Mary that he would yep. say, "Hey, this is going to be rough for the." And I've told people that he said this before because I think it was a great way of putting it. He was like, I, we know that this is going to be rough. I'm not going to be as available, but I'll make it up to you after this. So there's going to be that period of time where you know you aren't going to be able to like go out for your date day. You know, you aren't going to be able to be as like you're saying, maybe you're not as talkative, you, can, you know, skip. But afterward, it's the agreement that this is part of the plan and we will then like fill the cup, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Should we move on to something else? Yeah, go for All it. Right. What else do we got here? Um, ooh, we had one from Doug. He says, uh, Doug Myers also from the Patreon guys. If you uh, if you want to support the programming, Patreon's a great way to do it. Uh, Doug says, question for you fellas: Do you think there is an age when one should stop pushing for maximum size and use gear to achieve uh, and using gear to achieve that goal? I'm 42. And wondering how many more years I have ahead of me before that goal is no longer healthy. 
It's a good question. Quotations healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you guys I mean, are handing it to me because I'm the old guy. I get you. <laughs> I, I get. I it's, see where it's this individual is going. though. It's yeah, so it is individual. There isn't an age. All, I can, yeah. We all live with the risk factors. We, we all understand that we're clicking minutes or seconds off our life with usage. And obviously some people are affected more than others in terms of side effects with those types of things. So I guess it all, if someone's doing competent blood work, then they kind of know when they really need to pack it up in a sense, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm well, going so with you. As far as the, I don't think there's an age. I think it's just a matter of, uh, I mean, there's so many factors. How long have you been training? You know, for me, I think it hurts right. me more the amount of years I've trained versus that I'm actually 51. I know too many people who started in their late 30s and their 40s and their knees and back and everything is in far better shape than mine is. Uh, but from a gear standpoint, I will, I can, I can empathize with his thought process because I remember getting later into my 40s and and I, and I, it's even worse now for every year that goes by, I, I ask myself, if not daily, uh, several times a week, you know, how much more time do I really have? And it be in your mind, it becomes more of a gamble. And especially hmm. when people around your age or even younger than you are dying, it is unnerving. And it, it, it may, how do I explain this? It makes you look, it makes you question, am I, am I a hundred percent comfortable with my decisions as I have felt like I have been to this point? We all take calculated risks. You, I watched a thing on Lance Armstrong and, and I laughed when he, when one of his competitors or one of his teammates said how dangerous the tour de France is just riding the bicycle. I thought you're riding a fucking bicycle, but then you watch and like when they go down, that fucking shit is dangerous. They're going 60 miles an hour down hills and on bikes that weigh two pounds, jumping out of an airplane and skydiving. I mean, the things we do, I drive to, I drive to the gym in Fort Lauderdale at 100, 110 miles an hour. And I do it with one knee on the, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to be called an asshole for this, but I'm in the, the express lane. I got one knee. I'm eating my chicken with the other hand. I'm listening to the radio. There are things that we do daily that, that really are dangerous. And this is just one more thing that you have to, as you get older, you will ask yourself and you'll constantly question it. I tell you this, if you don't question it, I mean, I guess everybody's, it's their own business, but if you don't question it, I would be more concerned about the people that, that actually question it and are, are weighing out the pros and the cons and the risks. Because if you ever get to the point where you are in the hospital and you're looking at a dire situation, because I've said this to myself, you have to be good with the decisions you, you've made. Because if you get to that point and you're not, then it's going to be, it's going to be pretty bad. It's just, it's just going to be, it's going to be bad either way when you're not, but it's going to be worse if you're not good with the, and you have regrets. So it, that's an individual thing for every individual to, to weigh out. So I can't say when that point, I don't think anybody can say what that point is. That's just, that's entirely up to him and it's entirely up to every individual. You, you mentioned well, part that, of it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say part of it too, is if he can be honest with himself and is he still making progress or is he just sort of like maintaining the look that he has, you know what I mean? And yeah. like, how long has he been training for, you know? So if he started at like 35, you know what I mean? There might be, a little more justification there but i mean if he's been blasting since he was 20 you know that's obviously mm -hmm. probably not wise yeah 
I are there hereditary that. components, things like that, that, you know, may linger in the family that puts you at more of a, a risk of developing, you know, other issues. There's a lot there. And what about the gear thing then? Cause you did say skip, you're like, if he's been training for a long time, you know, if you've been training for a long time and you're banged up versus starting in your thirties, then what about like first you, you, the way you put it was, but then when you do get older, then it's the gear thing, you know, that you're really concerned about. What about if you hadn't been like, is there, is there an amount of time? Cause I'll tell you what, I've started looking at it myself where I'm like, okay, I've been using gear for about a decade now. You know, obviously my, I would say my harder gear use was earlier. And I would say the longer I've gotten, the more I am very careful. And the, the shorter my cycles have gotten, the lower they are. I don't do anything like I did you know, seven, eight years ago. But, it, you know, if I, if I, is there a time frame, you know, like gear wise that, you know, would you say that, you know, I wish we had some statistics and I feel like this is a statistic. Why can't I say that word today? This is a statistic <laughs> we should have. Like on average, how long can somebody quote unquote, get away with running gear. And I'm talking statistically. There's always going to be some people that are going to, you know, have problems sooner than later. But, you know, is is there a, is there a number, you know? You know well, but there isn't. And that, I mean, but, I hate to use myself as an example, but I'm older than a lot of the guys who have had, who have passed. And I have, I mean, there were times I was on three and a half years straight on a cycle for three and a half years straight. And I'm going to get slammed for this. I understand that there are going to be people who are going to troll the fuck out of this, but I, I'm just being honest. So kiss my ass, I guess, and troll away. But, you know, our, our youngest daughter was born, you know, three years into a three and a half year cycle. I had bloods that were just because I was younger and they were great and I continue to do it. No, the bloods doesn't mean there's nothing going on. But when you have good bloods and you're on for that long, it justifies and you're like, I'm, I'm going to keep fucking running it. I'm a, so I have done a lot of fucking shit and I have done gear for longer than some of the guys who have passed. There's no, there's no, Nothing. There's no way to know. Andy well, could Hammond you say had a five tricep years? injury. Was five? Andy, you know, on average, but, would you say that? You know, for most people, you can't. I just, you couldn't I say just like can't. five years really would can't. be safe. There's so unquote. many variables. There's so many factors. I just know that you know you get to the point. I think I think everybody gets to the point. I have where you do start to question it. I just fall back on the fact. And some people will think this is crazy and it's stupid, and I'm a dumbass. And I just don't care. You're not living my life. It is what it is. But I am comfortable with the fact that I am being as cautious as possible. And you can call it an addiction. You can call it whatever. But I I look at what I do. Like if I jump out of a plane 40,000 times, one of those times might it might be the reason that I die. But what I do, I love to do. And I don't want to not do it. And I don't want to not do it without gear. I can do it on TRT. I can do it. On, I'm not saying I'm running, you know, the cycles that I was earlier, but as recently as two years ago, I, I went back to an experiment where I did more gear on a cycle than I had ever done in my life. And that is just me being transparent. I did realize after that run that the cost to benefit wasn't there. And I came away from it feeling better that it wasn't because had it been better, I would have wanted to continue to do it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so then, you know, the naysayers are going to say, you're not going after a pro card. You're not going after what is going after a pro card. Yeah. Does that justify the risk that you're, it's a pro card, it's a trophy, it's a show. And unless it, it, that's, I guess what I'm saying is that's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. I love doing, and if I was just to train with no enhancement at all, I don't know that I would do it. Nobody wants to go back. I'm holding on to youth here as long as I can hang on to. I'm holding on to a quality of life. I'm holding on to a passion that I have. And if you don't have it, you can't understand it. So kiss my ass. I, I don't have <laughs> anything else to add to it because I can't convince somebody. It's someone who does, you know, it's Lance Armstrong is passionate about riding a bike. I don't want to ride a bike. I don't want to jump out of a fucking plane. People have those things that they love to do. And I don't want to say I live for it, but it's such a big part of me and my quality of life that I'm not willing to give it up. I'm just not. That's a great intro for the show right there, Scott. I know. I was already thinking that. <laughs> like, I don't want to jump out of a fucking plane. I don't want to ride a fucking bike. I want to take gear. <laughs> so, but, uh, before we get off this topic, uh, yeah. I believe in like 2005 or 2006, I want to say it was like Rick Collins, the uh, the steroid uh, lawyer guy. Yeah. I thought he organized like a big study that huh. talked about this, that, that surveyed people. Now, keep in mind take whatever happened back then and probably double it in 2020 yeah. in terms of doses and stuff. But actually it made me think like between all of our connections, we could probably develop a survey and get it out on all the forums, all the boards, uh, Instagram, et cetera, make a website for a lot of people in our community to go on to. And we could probably come up with this information. I like that. I, I got to ask really Rick about that, that. I've been trying to get Rick back on the show. He's a very busy man, as you can imagine. I, but I thought it was him. Ask him. Ask I'll him ask him. It. I'll ask him about it. Uh, all right. I'm going to try to go a little bit lighter now. We'll try to lighten the mood just a little bit here because we got kind of dark there for a minute. We had uh, we had a question. Where was that? Okay. This is something uh, I think a lot of people are asking. I want to be a coach. Is there any advice? Start an IG page and you're a fucking coach. Next question. <laughs> no, that's that's a. I meant that to be humorous, not to be shitty. Uh, you guys go. I just ranted for like four minutes. It was an impassioned topic. Just, for me. Someone that just barely sort of started coaching themselves. I mean, one, I would say find sort of a mentor um, and someone that you can sort of uh, not. I don't know, like work alongside. I mean. You know, Andrew's my coach. I've learned so much from him. And it's not like I – it's not even a thing where I'm like, Andrew, tell me this. Andrew, tell me that. But it's just like me being – using my head, you know, when he does stuff and like sort of like breaking it down. Okay, he did that because of this. You know what I mean? And sort of putting two and two together. And then I think just, you know, the experience and putting the time in, um, you know, obviously education is obviously great. So if you can use any kind of stuff to learn along the way. So like – you know, John's stuff is great. Um, like your podcasts are great. So always sort of trying to, you know, expand your knowledge. And then obviously, I mean, I think just the experience, you know, like a lot of the stuff I know is from trial and error, you know what I mean? From 10, about 10 years of doing it, you know what I mean? So and doing numerous shows and, you know, so stuff that I use with my clients is usually stuff that I've ran into or, uh, you know, stuff that I've had to, or I've utilized in, preps or off seasons or um but yeah i think you know learning under someone else's tutelage i mean there's a lot of great uh 
like programs too, like John Jewett and, you know, Austin Stout and those kind of guys that are sort of teaching. Um, but I think it's, and then obviously too, I think just taking a couple of your buddies and just sort of working on them for free and seeing what you can like learn and, um, you know, starting out there. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with all that. Um, I think one trait that a lot of us have as coaches is we're very intuitive. So when we've worked with people in the mm. past or when we've done things ourselves, uh, working with ourselves, we're, we're able to intuit, you know, why we did something or, you know, a lot of times we just start out doing something, you know, to see what happens and then looking for patterns. Right. Um, I'm sure Skip, you probably started doing that when you started the whole skip load thing, which has yeah. become a very, you know, integral part of most people's preps in a sense, whether they call it a skip load or refeed or whatever the terminology right. that people want to use, you know? Uh, but I do think, you know, in terms of someone that wants to get into like a coaching business, uh, don't quit your day job, um, take on clients mm -hmm. and just work harder and smarter and continue your regular job. Um, to me, it was like, make sure that you have all the things paid off that you can pay off in terms yeah. of cars, debt, loans, all that kind of stuff. Uh, make sure you have a really good savings because who knows, you know, let's say you have 50 clients, but then in a proof, you know, they're all gone in one day. Well, what mm -hmm. are you going to do? You know, it's and we had something, well, we had something recently with the, uh, with the whole COVID thing, right. Where yeah. I'm sure a lot of us as coaches were like, well, shit, all these people are losing their jobs. I might become expendable. And the gyms uh, are closed. Real, the gyms are closed. There's, there's no shows going on, at least for the first half of the year. I mean, yeah. I was definitely one of those people that said, man, and I think I, I probably had like 120, 130 clients then. I'm sitting here thinking, man, what percentage of people am I going to lose just because of hardships, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so those are real things that you got to think about because you're working for yourself. There's no one giving you a paycheck at the end of the week. There's no, um, you know, weeks off for vacation. There's, there's none of those benefits, no healthcare, any of that. So mm -hmm. you got to look at the, the cost uh, of all those things and see if it's profitable for you. Uh, so that's why I say, don't quit your day job, take on clients on the side. And I do think the uh, thing that Nate said about taking on um, your friends and coaching them for free. I have mixed feelings about that because I know that whenever you do anything for free, people will not do it a hundred percent. I had mixed you know, feelings about that too, for that same that reason. Screen. Yeah. So I, I think you really got to pick and choose the people. Like, let's say you got someone that you see at your gym who's pretty obese and you see that they work their ass off. Like they're, they're in the gym all the time. They're, they're just working really hard. I would pick someone like that who I'm not necessarily friends with and say, Hey, I see you're working hard. Like, and maybe, maybe you've had a dialogue with them before and they've, they've said, oh, I'm trying to lose weight. And they've been trying to lose that same 20 pounds for like five years that you've known them or, or seen them at the gym. I think that's the kind of person you want to offer your services to for free and say, look, you know, I'm just starting out. I'm not a professional yet, um, but I do know a couple, you know, a thing or two about losing body fat and about increasing muscle. Would you mind if I took over your programming? And I think they would be very appreciative and those would be the people that would absolutely follow the plan 100%. You know, like, because I've coached friends for free and, you know, you find out, you hear like, oh, they went out on Friday night and had a burger and fries and didn't tell mm -hmm. you about it. Yeah. Or you see on their Instagram story that they're doing this or that, you know. So, I, but I, I do think you, you got to start somewhere, right? So sometimes if that's all you have, you do kind of have to start with that. So yeah. you can work some techniques and work and, and learn from that process. But, but yeah, first thing I would say is don't quit your day job, build up a clientele and, um, and then make the decision down the line when you're in a financial position to do that. That's some pretty good feedback. I don't have too much to add i would say uh, a couple things you have to be willing to be as invested or more invested in your clients than you would be invested in even your own training and your own prep if you're not willing to do that then don't kid yourself because you're basically 
most people don't really understand what they're doing when they say they want to be a trainer. If you're going to train people, especially online, you are literally jumping off a diving board into a giant sea of turds. And the re and I always use this reference. It doesn't mean that everybody is, so that's not my implication. But they're just all these turds floating in this giant ocean, and about 20% of them are good and they know what they're doing. Of that 20%, 10 are going to be questioned, 10% are going to be questioned about, or even 15% about what they know by other people, um, other trainers, because whether it be insecurity issues or they're battling to get attention, that sort of shit. It's of all the people out there online, you're going to have a hard time being noticed or recognized. And really, there's only two main ways. You guys correct me if you think that there's more that I'm wrong. There's two main ways to get noticed and to build your brand or your name online. One, you are really good at what you do and you're consistent and you build a track record. That will never be something that is bad. In fact, you have to be that no matter what. Number two is you find a niche that a niche that is that is different. For me, I was lucky online because while I was building a bit of a reputation, skip loading essentially fell into my lap and it was something there that helped me basically like catapult me and get me all this attention. When I, I mean, I laugh and say, if I had to try to break into online training these days, I don't even know if anybody would notice anything I'm fucking saying because there's a, always a, a component of luck, timing, who you know, and, and, and getting, just getting the attention or, or getting people to notice what you're doing. There are a lot of people who are really, really good at prep and no one knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, yeah. it can be, you can be very good at what you do and you don't have a clue how to really manage and to promote yourself or get exposure. So I, and I've told this to a lot of people, I, you know, I had team skip approved trainers. I still have one under my wing now who just came on not too long ago, but I used to do it in groups. And, and a few of the things I think are important are this for exposure, write podcast, get, Put out information, put out quality information. Don't just put out information for the sake of information. No one needs to read or view how to do a leg extension for the 2000th fucking time because there's nothing you're going to do to that leg extension that is going to be any different than anybody else has said in the last 10 years. There, You have to put out quality information. Put you a have band to on it. have something that makes people want to listen to you. And in fact, I think that that is a lot of the reason that a lot of trainers now are going into the more of the health stuff recently. Um, and I don't want to name names cause they're doing it right. So I don't want to give the implication that they're not, but that is another way to get not, not tap into a market, but to get exposure and get attention and have people pay attention to what you're doing. So uh, Bennett is a good example of thinking outside of the box with training. John oh, did the is. same thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bennett is, you know, he just, he comes up with He's not only new job. exercise, but variations. He explains things in depth. He's very consistent, puts out quality information. That's why so many people pay attention to him. So there's, I guess he my best advice it. is there's a lot more to it than what you think. So start off small, pay attention. Like Andrew said to, you know, training some of your friends. And, and I think your example of somebody in the gym is 
fucking great because I've thought the same thing. You don't want personal relationships with the people that you're helping for free if you can avoid it because it doesn't work for the reasons that you mentioned. It doesn't work the large majority of the time. It can, but the large majority of the time it doesn't. There's a lot to it, and and I could go on and on. I think we all could, but I'll I'll stop there. Dude, we could do a whole I've heard you on other podcasts get being interviewed specifically just about this topic. You you've said stuff that like I've never even heard you say. So this is a topic I I think we could talk more about and I know that a lot of the people who do watch our podcasting are coaching people themselves. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're coming to us for that that insight. So I think that's cool. And I'm honored to have those guys here, you know, watching us, learning learning from us stealing our ideas. <laughs> yeah, the, what is that the best form of flattery or best uh, imitation is the best form of flattery i used to laugh at that when i was when i was younger i'm like fuck that <laughs> no it's not but it is and the reality is no matter idea. how many trainers are out there and even though i consider it sometimes to be a giant sea of turds i'm not mad at anybody for getting into the coaching industry i used to be because i used to have this very arrogant thing of just fucking know your place in the pecking order. Like, what are you doing? You don't, what are you offering people? But it has changed over the years, especially with social media. For the shitty trainers out there who don't know much, it all works itself out. Nobody is stealing clients from good (laughs) trainers. Uh, And if they do, they come back to you anyway. If that trainer is shitty and they tell you, I should have worked with you three years ago, but I didn't want to pay your fees. So I went with so-and-so. It all works itself out. It, there could be twice as many trainers out there and it still will work itself out. If you're good and you have a consistent track record and you take care of your clients and you actually give a shit and care about them and you have a rapport with them, you probably will do well. But don't quit your day job, just like Andrew said. I came up with a new loading technique called Scott loading. I'll tell you guys about hey. it on another podcast. <laughs> there's some people on this show. Podcast, and there's some people on this show. I don't want, I don't want to hear <laughs> what I'm going to say. Not today. Not today. We're not going to talk about it today. <laughs> That's a good shit. Uh, what do we got here? We've got two more. Okay. So we'll tackle these and then we will get out of here. Uh, Berberine versus Matt Foreman during the off season or, None at all. I know Skip hates Matt Foreman. I go through phases. Sometimes I hate it. Sometimes I like. It. No, it's just it's evolved over time. But I am admittedly not a very big fan. So that leaves Matt you Foreman guys is to like fight so about 2007 it. or 2008. <laughs> right, 2007. I, mean, I can't even remember. 2007. 2007 it was big. Maybe even it hit the yeah. boards and I was like, oh, you can you can load up all this food and eat this metformin. And it's like, or you just get diarrhea and you look flatter <laughs> than you did before you ate all that yeah. food. Yeah, but bad yeah. stomach no. cramping. When you yeah. say just keeping citrus bergamot in would be ideal for that question? Uh, well, no, I think what they're, they're, they're looking at, like, because berberine, if you look at the studies, will gram for gram do the exact same thing as metformin just without the side effects. Like, yeah. You do 500 milligrams of berberine, it's going to match what metformin does almost to a T, um, just without like the digestive issues. Um, and also, I think the um, the physical, like I don't think people look as flat when they're using berberine. I just know when I used metformin, I looked like, even in the office, I just looked flat and fat, like just wasn't a happy camper. So, yeah, that's dumb. I like berberine. I even turned my father off. Yeah, I even turned my phone. He was prescribed metformin, and I got him taking berberine instead now. No so kidding. This is over the last couple of years, yeah. All right. I got a fun one, then, that we can finish on here. Uh, question for the panel. 
Do you guys follow any specific routine in the morning? If yes, what is your set protocol and how do you guys like to structure your day? Thought this could be interesting to hear. Cheers from Poland. Very cool. And he also mentions last five minute crew. That's a that's a it's just bodybuilding thing, which is kind of cool. <laughs> morning. Great. So I go to bed. Um, <laughs> I think right. there's I'm like actually up in the morning. So I have a different morning than anybody else. And then there's me. <laughs> I'm like horrible at that stuff, honestly, man. Like I just sort of like wake up and get going. I don't really have like a routine. Yeah. But I know some guys are like religiously like every day, like I got to do this and I got to do that. And like, I don't know. I'm just not like you really that type of bodybuilder. You, you know what annoys me is when someone says like, I wake up and I do 10 minutes of gratitude meditation. And I'm like, what the fucking shit you do? Like, you know what? You mean you fucking sleep in and hit the snooze button? Like, bullshit. I will tell you, I know one person that does meditation every morning, and that's Victoria. I do, too. Do you? I, I know someone. She's Yeah, he's an older guy, 85. Yeah. It, she has an app. She has this Insight Timer app. And uh, you can actually pick the meditations you do. And she's done it for, like, since the time I've known her. She like she was just getting into it. She was like a few months in when we started talking and she stuck with it. I've tried, man. It's it's freaking difficult. It's a challenge. To, like, it's not me. You know, I do that when I'm driving or shitting. I don't know about you guys, but I think about the things that are going well. I do yeah. my best thinking, yeah. actually, while I'm taking a crap. I don't know about you guys. You ever sit there and take a shit for so long while you're on your phone that you go, did I even shit <laughs> like, did I do some fiber. I just, and then you're like then you do what you have to do and you're like oh yeah I did take a shit <laughs> so this guy wants to know like what our day is like I mean I, right now I sleep in right up to the minute where I actually have to get moving and I get up and I answer any real pertinent emails real quick and then I cook our breakfast for me and Rachel and then I drive her to work and then around 8.15 so I schedule. sit down and my it's a schedule, yeah. Yeah, I follow schedule, yeah. Around 8.15, I get back on the computer, and I crank away until about uh, 3.15. Emails or porn? <laughs> a little bit of both. A little bit of Facebook. We said crank away. I wasn't sure what you are talking about. 50-50 ratio. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and in there I get four meals and then go to the gym, and sometimes at night I do more emails, and then I like to do reading for, like, 45 minutes or so and watch a show and go to bed. I used to have more of a schedule when I was only working online because I worked online Mm. exclusively for ever and ever. Hallelujah. But now that I train clients, it is, I'm, I'm far more regimented because I have to be, I actually have to be somewhere. So I get up at one, leave at two at the gym by three, that drive down there is, is fun as hell too. When I'm running behind, cause that GPS, I always beat the shit out of that. It'd be like, Oh, I have 13. I'm going to be 13 minutes late. Nope, I'm going to be one minute early. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I train clients Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So I sleep my ass in on Wednesday. But I, I have a weird schedule. I still work all night, uh, every night, except Sunday night, on, um, yeah, online, usually from midnight to about 6. On Wednesdays when I don't train clients on Saturdays, uh, we, you know, we have a podcast on the weekend every other week, but I'll do any writing that I need to for Elite FTS. But as far as my morning when I get up, it's just typically that I'm racing around trying to, you know, get all my shit. I, I do a lot of my next day preparation, like my meals are ready to go and packed in my cooler and everything's where I need it so that I can spend less time. You know, I even shower the night before so that I have less to do when oh, yeah. I get up so I can sleep longer. Um, but, you know, it's it's a little bit more regimented now. 
than it what has to be because I have to be somewhere on time than it was for so many years. So it's taken, it's a bit of an adjustment when you have to be somewhere versus you just have to work on the computer. It's, it wasn't that I didn't have a, a structure because I had also had kids that I had to get to sports and school and dentist and there because I was kind of the house husband in a sense. And all the wives in the neighborhood would try to get caddy with me thinking I was, you know, didn't have much to do. So that was a, a nice little thing. But it's just it's a little bit different now. But it, there's no I don't have any type of structure that is that I do this shit every single day. I just I don't know. I get up, take a shit. I have my monster. I do. Yeah, I guess there is a little bit. But that's about it. I got a question for Andrew then before we go about this. So since you do work at home all day outside of uh, driving Rachel to work and then obviously you're, you're going to train at some point a lot of days. Do you have because you know, there's a lot of people working from home now and this is kind of a question for myself too. Do you have anything that you do to say like, OK, I need a break from this? Even if, like like I talked to um Shelby got into a habit of doing splitting his cardio up where he'll do like 20 minutes of cardio. And I found that, you know, I've talked to people that's like I've tried getting into habits where like, OK, I'm going to walk the dog around the block. It's not much. It's five, 10 minutes. But it takes me away because it can be challenging, I think, when you are home all day. Like you said, you just get on the computer and start working. You know, it, it can be difficult for at times to focus. Uh, so. During prep, like, because I need to move more, I'm like, I need to really increase my knee. Yeah, I will take the dogs for like three 10 minute walks. Okay. Right now, though, uh, my break times are I get up for my meals and use the bathroom, and that's about mm -hmm. it. But I, I probably get up like once every hour, hour and a half, you know, yeah, at yeah. least, you know, between the bathroom and food. So, yeah, you know, <laughs> but, but usually it's, it's pretty much working straight through because, you know, besides my own clients, you know, I do a lot of work for the mountain dog site and oh, yeah. a lot of times I have to do like zoom sessions, zoom meetings, uh, just this week, me and Nate had a, a, a team talk is what we call it, where we answer questions kind of like this with another member, uh, Chris Edmonds. Uh, Chris is so cool. we have like, I like, like him. that. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is really cool. Um, and then I write articles for the website. So I'm always kind of work. If I get like most of my work done, then I'll, I'll start cranking away at an article and I might get like a page or something done and, and then the references and all that, and then get, go back to it like two or three days later. So, so yeah, it's just busy. You guys are still putting a lot of, over there too, aren't you? At the, the mountain dog site, you guys are kind of really keeping it alive. I think we're trying to actually put out more because I think we realize that we're not as cool as John ever was, uh, but we need, to, we need to make up for it with, with, by putting more out. So, so yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm thinking this is probably going to come out because we, we recorded two shows here. This is probably going to come out like the week of nationals, which is going to be freaking awesome. I'm excited for Nate Spear to get up there again. It's been a, a year since we've seen you now, man. And you're freaking like we said before, your condition is looking off the charts, man. So I'm excited to see what happens with all this. Yeah. I'm On that note, actually, I just got a message from um, Justin Shear, who uh, I posted Nate's picture of the front double bicep that you showed. He yeah. goes, holy shit, man, he looks great. And so I wrote back to him, so do you, buddy. It's going to be a great show this year. So shout out to Justin Shear. He's a really good heavyweight, and he looks nasty yeah. himself. So yeah. I think the show is going to be one that people are going to remember for a couple of years. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be a good show. That's cool. That's cool. Well, listen, guys, we appreciate uh, I actually let me start out saying I appreciate you guys hanging with me for the last freaking three hours. This has uh, been quite a marathon, but it's been freaking awesome. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm picking stuff up on these podcasts every day. So I appreciate having you guys here with me. Check out Andrew Barry over at Body Barry 
Team.com. You can reach out to Skip over at TeamSkip.com. Nate, like you said, I know you're coaching people now. If people want to reach out to you for coaching, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, just my Instagram, Nate at Nate Spear. And, uh, and uh, of course, guys, check out Nate as he's closing in here for Nationals. Uh, you can reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And, of course, if you've hung with us this long, then I know you've already subscribed. Do us a favor, leave us a comment. That'll help us to uh, you know boost the show up in the algorithm. Um, and check out our great sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. And, of course, supplementsource.ca for everybody in Canada. And for everybody who's hung out here for this full live event, we appreciate having you guys here. Thanks, guys. Set the lead, the lead, the ball, folks.